Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. Content warnings for this episode include dysphoria, transphobia, mental health, religion, bullying, being misgendered, political attacks against the trans community, and genocide. So hi everyone, my name is Gender Master and I use they them pronouns and I will let my guest introduce herself. Hello, so thank you. My name is Alexis Phantom. I am a transgender and pansexual and neurodivergent by way of ADHD voice actress, as well as blossoming activist, we'll say. I don't know how else to describe that, but good to be here. Yeah, I'm really grateful that you're here. I know you were like looking up important things right before we went live. You're just getting up to the minute data. I love it. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, this kind of stuff changes by the second. Got to stay on top of it. You're going to stay ahead of it. Totally. Just to begin, what are some things that you can trace back to your youth that indicated you might be some flavor of trans or gender diverse one day? All right. So I'm basically, to, to summarize where I was as a child, I was basically somebody who had every single indication under the sun, but literally just could not figure it out in part because I didn't have the words for it and in part also because I didn't know that when I did learn the words, I didn't know that they described what I was feeling, if that makes any sense. So from the time I was a young kid, I I would, let's see, where should I start with this? I wanted to have a, for example, I wanted to have long hair so it could be tied back into a ponytail. I also was called a girl by several strangers because I had longer hair and I actually liked that and mm, didn't know what that meant. They intended it as a taunt, but you didn't take it as one? No, it wasn't even that. It was mm. literally like, they didn't you know, because they'd be talking you. to my mom. They'd be talking mm-hmm. to my mom and I'd be standing beside her and they'd be like, oh, you've got a cute daughter or something like that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And I had some experiences. <laughs> Uh, one particularly funny and formative one, I guess you could say, was when I was about 10, a friend of mine decided as a, just to prank his older sister to basically go into her room while she was gone and try on all her clothes and stuff and parade around like being all silly. And I was scared to death of doing that in part because his older sister hated me, but also because something about it felt very I don't know it just felt very terrifying I guess you mm. could say something about it was like what if you liked it very deeply yeah and I always regretted not partaking in that I don't mm. think I would have paraded around but always regretted not partaking in that and mm. I even regretted it in the moment because then we went outside uh, to play after he got dressed back in his clothes and as we were playing I kept looking inside the, the open window there at her clothes there on the ground I was thinking maybe we should maybe I should go back in there and I think I even asked him at one point but she was about to be home at that point so couldn't really do it without risking getting caught but and it, the list goes on and on I was dissociated from the age of 10 years old to about 23 so that was tough I didn't know that's what dissociation was but I didn't know that was the word I knew the word but I didn't know that was describing 
what exactly I was going through. That's what mm-hmm. I meant earlier. And there's a, a million more things. I could probably spend the entire hour or two on that. Suffice to say, it. I should have figured it out and I didn't. But hey, I have now. And you don't have to shit on yourself because you don't know until you know. It takes time and there's a lot of cultural influences that keep people from exploring that, right? There's active, like the gender binary and being within the gender assigned at birth is the way to yum. And you have to get to a point in your life where your brain can wander outside of the <laughs> boundaries you've been handed as a young person to even start to figure it out. So... Very true. And then even when I was a teenager, one other thing was, unfortunately, at least when I was a teenager, a lot of the guys around me, they would objectify and stuff like that. When they started noticing girls, they would objectify them and stuff like that. And I felt personally offended by it. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really weird, even at the time. I was like, why in the world do I feel so bent out of shape about this? Like, not even on someone else's behalf so much as even on mine. It felt deeper than me just saying, shouldn't talk about people that way. It felt like it was hitting me a lot deeper in the heart than that. Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably why. Yeah. So it's just yet another indication. I thought it was only because I was a feminist, but it turns out it was because <laughs> I was feminine. Yeah, I hear that. Okay, so you went from a kid who wished you had tried on your guy friend's sister, older sister's clothes to <laughs> clearly trans adults. How, what happened between then and now to make you who you are today? Or how has your relationship to gender evolved over time? Oh, it's been a heck of a journey, for sure. Definitely had some internalized stuff to overcome, for sure. Originally thought I was gender fluid. Mm-hmm. And that because I was experiencing what a lot of, I, I don't know if there's even a technical term for this, but what I've heard a lot of gender fluid people describe as swapping, basically like feeling intensely feminine out of nowhere for minutes or hours and then switching back, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I know that's not a universal experience, but still I experienced that and stuff like that. And so I attached that label to myself to try to interpret what was going on. And even then though, like to the friends that I came out to at the time, I said, I'm like 99.9% sure that I am binary trans, but mm-hmm. that 0.1% is holding me back. So I'm going with gender fluid for now. And nice. yeah. And so then got into therapy. That was a very emotional experience. Uh, moving out of my parents' house, getting into therapy and stuff like that. And it was also <laughs> not the safest uh, thing to do because I was in the state of Tennessee at the time. It's one of the reasons I presented masculine for as long as I did, even after starting hormones. But finally started my transition December 2019, and here I am, over almost two and a half years later, still going strong. <laughs> so that is so wonderful to hear that you have found a way to be able to be your true self on the outside. And I heard you mention safety was a concern. And honestly, for me, safety is also a concern. Like, as a transmasculine person, I have a heck of a time deciding which bathroom to use. Do I go in this one and possibly get beat up? Or do I go in this other one and possibly get yelled at? And it's, can I just have a third option that's like the non-binary single stall or all gender restroom where nobody has expectations about the gender of the people in the bathroom? We can all just pee in peace. (laughs) It was pretty funny because when I moved to Texas in... Oh gosh, what was that? June or July 2020? I think it was June. Anyway, mm-hmm. I it was pretty funny because I was still presenting masculine despite having come out to everyone because I was just nervous. And mm-hmm. when I started getting gendered properly, 
while dressing masculine, I was like, oh, okay, now is definitely the time to, to make the big switch in presentation. And then COVID really started taking off in Texas and everyone started wearing, I was already wearing a mask and everybody else started to wear a mask. And I was like, hey, my hair is getting long. I present femme. Hey, I can go in the right bathroom now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, never have once gotten clocked in a bathroom, probably in large part because of the masking. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's one of the reasons I haven't taken it off yet. <laughs> yeah. I don't plan on taking it off till I facial femme. Should be this year, hopefully. <laughs> my my spouse is currently investigating that option. She wants to go to this one doctor that does has this machine that scans your whole skull and gives you a 3D rendering of the bone structure of your face and then can show you exactly what your face will look like after instead of just, it'll look different. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's it's fancy. It's very fancy. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of some surgeons having that kind of technology available to them, that 3D CT or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you just saw me do my trans check-in. And for those listening to the podcast later, you can catch the whole video series on my YouTube channel. But you heard me do my sort of verbal trans check-in. And I'm curious if there's anything that you've done to document your transition. Obviously, you must have done some voice training because your voice is fantastic. And I know we'll talk more about voice acting and all that soon. But yeah, I just wonder if there's anything you've done to uh, milestone or keep track of dates or timelines or visual changes or any of that sort of thing. I didn't really do a whole lot. A lot of my progress has just been based on my own self-perception from day to day, mm-hmm. how I evaluate it. But sometimes I do because I still have one picture from the before times that I compare where I am today to. And yeah, there's literally no comparison at this point. Um, <clears throat> still a lot to go, but still compare that to July 2019 or whatever you want to, whatever date you want to come up with. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah, it's... Nothing all that new has happened in my transition in quite a while other than moving to Washington State to take advantage of their healthcare insurance mandates. And I'm able to hit the ground running on finishing electrolysis because I had to take a break from it because I couldn't afford it anymore. Mm-hmm. And going through laser hair removal and preparing for uh, reassignment surgery and scheduling a bunch of consultations and all that other stuff. I had 18 appointments in March, I think. So, yeah. yeah. Uh And the insurance mandate is working pretty well so far. Don't have any complaints about it. Yeah, and I used to keep track of my hormone labs, if that counts, until I got to a point where everything was consistently fine. And then I just stopped worrying about those too, for the Mm -hmm. most part. I've had some stints with progesterone and stuff like that. It it gives me like really bad melasma on my face. Mm. And so I'm basically going, I've been without an anti-androgen this entire time. I'm going to have to add something in i probably won't go the spironolactone route i'll probably go the bicalutamide uh route because it has fewer side effects and it's more powerful when it comes to this kind of thing preventing progesterone from converting into testosterone subtypes and testosterone in and of itself or i should say it wouldn't prevent progesterone from converting but it would prevent it from taking effect in my body that's the one thing about bicalutamide it doesn't actually reduce the amount of testosterone in your system it just makes it completely useless because it basically blocks off all of the receptors in the body. But yeah, I'm hoping to start that as soon as tomorrow, actually, because I have a doctor's appointment. I'm going to talk to them about that. But yeah, a lot of it's just been working toward surgical stuff lately. 
I'm on estradiol pellets, subcutaneous pellets that last about five months at a time. So that's pretty. Do those go in your upper arms? No, actually, a top section of the buttock, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. And they, for me, they last about five months. They can last up to a year in some people, but five to six is about the standard. So. Do they dissolve um, or do they have to be extracted back out at the end of everything? No, they very slowly dissolve. And oh, then, cool. yeah, when I first started on them, they basically wanted me to go in for a lab about somewhere between two weeks and a month later to see what my levels were and stuff like that. And then come back in a few months later, test them again. And if I was starting to decrease, they would say, okay, this is clearly how long it takes to dissolve for you. So this is when we'll replace them for you. So I'm just operating off of that at this point. It's and nice like you don't you said, have to take a pill every day. Oh, yeah. No, I used to take four pills a day. Yeah. <laughs> it was the worst, especially working security and stuff like that. The first part of the pandemic and transitioning in secret and having the pills dissolving under my tongue while attempting to talk to truck drivers. That was real fun. So, yeah, I had a pretty wild start as far as... <clears throat> so today's topic or a combination of topics is all about speaking up. And when you filled out sort of our talk show form, you presented two topics that seem very different at first, but I think actually are tied together through the act of using your voice and speaking up. The first one uh, being the political climate, I'll say in the United States in 2022, and the second being voice acting. So I am wondering if we can pivot and talk a little bit about some of the political climate pieces, and then we'll do voice acting the second half. So if people want to get super, super cool tips on how to sound as delightfully feminine as you do, then they get to hang out. (laughs) (laughs) I certainly appreciate all the compliments coming my way today. (laughs) So the first question about the political climate that I have for you is, where do you believe the current political attacks on trans people will lead? There's a lot going on. And maybe just for posterities, if people either don't listen to the news because it stresses them out, or if someone's listening to this and it's a year or two later and they don't know what are the current events, could you first go over what's happening right now and then share about where you're predicting some of these pieces will lead? Sure. So unfortunately, what we're seeing now is a culmination of something that started at the beginning of 2021. Some could even argue it began at the end of 2020, but it really started taking off after the Biden administration took over. Started off with a whole lot of sports bans for transgender women coming through the pipeline at the same time in a lot of these different states. So they all started in the same sphere. And then as time went on, we saw what is clearly to me a very coordinated effort between a lot of these states where one would push the needle in one particular sphere further, be it through educational bans, be it through religious conscience laws, allowing people to essentially throw trans uh, patients out on the street if they're not experiencing an emergency. That's actually law in Arkansas, by the way, unless it's been struck down by a judge, but I don't think it has been. They had to override the governor for that one, actually. The governor himself said that went too far and vetoed it, but the legislature did it anyway. So thanks. Education, definitely. Don't say gay was not the first intrusion into this sphere. It's the most notable, probably, because it Mm -hmm. affects the most people, given the size of the population and the state involved. But it was not the first. Tennessee was actually the first. And then you started seeing the healthcare attempting to ban healthcare 
I'm skipping over several steps here because we just don't have the time, but where they were taking turns pushing that needle further in different spheres, education was definitely one. But healthcare has been the more recent one. You had attempts to just outright ban mental and uh, medical healthcare for transgender minors. And at first, you could tell that they, it was almost like the frog in the pot analogy. It's like they turned the temperature up just a little too hot, a little too fast, the frog jumped out and these these pieces of legislation didn't really go anywhere at first. But then they continued their attacks in speeches and in other ways and then warmed people up to the idea that we're all predators, essentially. Mm -hmm. And that's been their winning arguments among the people on the right is the idea that, well, trans kids are actually victims, right? They're actually, and they're right about that, but they're the victims of the legislators, Mm -hmm. not (laughs) not of their parents, not Mm -hmm. of transgender adults and not of transgender allies. They are the victims of the legislators, but they're painting them as if they are being manipulated into this, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so that's what they're, that's the stance that they are coming from when they are banning this therapy, trying to ban this therapy, trying to charge parents with child abuse in Texas. That's been the big one. That Mm -hmm. happened while Don't Say Gay was being debated and talked about in the media. Texas literally just was able to slip on by with their attack by the attorney general and the governor. Bilaterally, they expanded the definition of child abuse in the state of Texas to cover mental and medical health care for transgender minors. Oh, yeah. And it got worse from there because they were they said not only that, but we are going to direct the we are going to direct the Department of Family and Protective Services, which, of course, oversees CPS and uh, offices like that, we're going to direct them to shove actual cases of child abuse to the side. We are going to make it so they cannot close these cases. We are going to make it so that they have to treat the parents of transgender youth as though they are an imminent threat. And so, in other words, confront them with the most uh, aggressive methods we have at our disposal. And also... You can't document anything going on in these cases outside of the case file. So we're trying to keep the paper trail as small as possible. Raises the question, what do they plan on doing with the kids that they seize? My -hmm. guess is conversion therapy, but that's just a guess. It is still legal in Texas, so one could assume. But, or maybe make a family, they're reuniting of families as hard as possible in case this gets overturned. I'm not sure. But it escalated into that. They slipped that in while everybody was busy looking at Florida with Don't Say Gay. And then Idaho came around the back end and said, hey, we're going to one-up Texas. We're not just going to make it child abuse. We are going to say that the parents and the physicians can go to prison for life in the state of Idaho. And yeah, and we can put parents in prison for life if they try to take their kids across state lines to get this treatment. If we think they're doing that, we can investigate it. Wow. Investigate them for child abuse. That failed in the Idaho Senate, but only because of the wording of the legislation, according to a lot of senators. So in other words, it will be back. It's just dead at the moment. And Idaho did their thing. Now we have Alabama doing the triple attack with a bathroom ban, a uh ban uh, just an outright criminal ban on healthcare for transgender youth and the the don't say gay legislation copied and pasted but expanded up to grade five all of that at the exact same time 
mm-hmm. all in one day. Mm-hmm. And now we're looking at more attempts to compel teachers and counselors to out children to their parents if they came to them in confidence, scared of abuse at home, for example. And I'm sure I don't have to explain to a lot of the audience that a lot of kids do fear being treated horribly by their parents when coming out. And that's why they might confide in a teacher or a counselor. This is something that is not the first attempt at this. This was actually in a piece of legislation in North Carolina back in 2021 that was defeated to compel parents or compel teachers and counselors to out kids in writing to both of their parents individually within two weeks of learning of gender nonconformity. And they left the definition of gender nonconformity in that bill up to the subjective interpretation of the administrators involved. God only knows how they'd abuse that. Now, like I said, that legislation died, but there was another key part of that legislation that we are probably about to see. We ask where this is going to lead. I think we're going to see another attempt to expand these bans up to the age of 25. North Carolina already attempted to expand it up to the age of 21 in that piece of legislation. It was defeated. But now we have some psychiatrists, two of them, as far as I know, there's only two, who have written some articles, who have counseled some a fair amount of transgender adults, saying that making they are taking the conservative argument of, oh, the brain's not developed fully until the age of 25, so they shouldn't be able to do this. They're taking that idea into the mainstream with these articles. And it's only a matter of time before legislators latch on to that and use that as an excuse to try to ban transition up to the age of 25. We're likely to see that pretty soon. At the same time, they also attack the informed consent model for adults. So that's under threat now as well. These are things that have not hit legislative sessions yet, probably because many of them are coming to an end. But I would definitely look out for the next legislative sessions in these states. And on top of that, I would especially look at Florida because Florida has already pledged to copy Texas in the next legislative session. Mm -hmm. So transgender youth in Florida are going to be under the same amount of threat as transgender youth in Texas right now. And like I said, Idaho is gonna bring theirs back too. And this is just scraping the top. This is the tip of the iceberg. And really and truthfully, that's the legislative side of things. But we've got to talk about the, the rhetorical side of things, the rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Out there today, we have a, Missis- a former Mississippi lawmaker who wrote the death penalty policy that is still standing in the state of Mississippi. He's a former politician, but he does have the ear of the governor. And just as a quick aside, this guy actually introduced gas chambers as a method of execution for death row inmates in Mississippi. That was his big contribution to that policy. And he straight up said on Twitter just a few weeks ago, took Twitter forever to ban him for it, of course but said that people who affirm the gender identities of transgender children should be executed by firing. And he he doubled down on it every time he was asked. And the one thing that he tried to retract, of course, was, oh, I wasn't talking about transgender adults. It's okay, you said anybody who affirms the identities of transgender children, that's transgender adults. Don't even try to skirt that, you know what you said. Mm-hmm. And he even went on to say that the only reason he doesn't recommend throwing them out of helicopters like Augusto Pinochet would do to his dissidents in Chile was because it's not uh, gentlemanly enough. It would cost too much to, apparently. So that's his contribution. We've got Marjorie Taylor Greene constantly out there calling for violence against transgender women. She said on Alex Jones's podcast just a few weeks ago 
that if a transgender woman was seen around children by her husband, that she would hope that he would immediately beat her to a pulp and get her hauled off to prison for being. So there's that. And then she released a video just the other day that basically called us, they're taking on the turf ideology that we're a threat to women, to cisgender women. So they're adopting that for their own platform. There's an unholy alliance between those two groups, to be sure. And yeah, went on a five minute rampage against our very existence Mm -hmm. in that video. And that of course has yet to be taken down by Twitter. So we are seeing literal calls for genocide in the United States by sitting and by former politicians. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly where all this groomer rhetoric will head to. Because the way a genocide takes shape in a fascist state is by painting your target as both subhuman and predatorial mm-hmm. at the same time. Well, that's, a, that's exactly what groomer does. Because here's the thing, if you're calling people groomers and pedophiles, not even the worst criminals in prison tolerate pedophiles. They beat them to death. Mm-hmm. That's a, we know this. So at one point you're seeing them as subhuman animalistic predator, uh, subhuman and animalistic for doing horrible things to children. That's one side of it. The other one is that, well, by necessity, they're also exerting power over children. And so there's the powerful predatorial side of the dichotomy. And on top of that is also compounded with QAnon's overall theory that pedophiles are running the entire world. So what we're seeing is people that are either purposefully or inadvertently joining forces with the worst fascist cults we have. And so I think if we do not turn this back, we're being dehumanized at an extremely alarming rate in the United States. I don't know exactly how far this will go, but I do know that it will not go anywhere good and it has to be turned back Mm -hmm. as soon as possible. Yeah. And it's going to take a groundswell of support from cisgender people that we are not seeing right now. So it is easy to hear all the things you just said and be completely emotionally overwhelmed by anxiety and want to cry and hide and run. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's the, yeah. Part For about years all of it. I've wanted to try to move to Canada because I felt like even though it's not perfect, it's probably better in regards to trans stuff than the United States. And I just never worked out how to get there. But I know that I tend to feel really powerless and overwhelmed. And what can I do with all of this chaos? So in your opinion, what are the best actions that trans people who often are already dealing with plenty of dysphoria and mental health struggles because getting misgendered all the time and whatever, like all the trans people that are just exhausted and just want to nope right out, like what can we do while maintaining our sanity? to advocate for ourselves and for trans youth and for trans elders, right? Like trans, older trans folks in retirement facilities and how do we take care of business but also take care of ourselves at the same time? It is something that I am still working out for myself, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I have had some very bad mental health days over the reality of everything setting in, lots of them, and I'm sure I still have more to come. But I think that the best thing that we can do is what we are already doing, which is speaking out as much as we possibly can, Mm -hmm. showing up to these protests, speaking at these hearings. It may not do much to speak at a hearing, like in front of the 
House representatives in the state or a Senate in the state, but it has worked on a couple of occasions. For example, in Arizona, uh, a few months ago, it actually did work right before te- or a few months ago. Gosh, time blindness. Uh, about a month and a half ago or so, when Texas, right before Texas did their attack between the attorney general and the governor, a child, some child activists, as well as their parents and some physicians testified in front of a congressional committee in the state of Arizona and managed to flip one Republican vote, which in and of itself actually defeated the legislation. Wow. So it is something worth trying, but doesn't work often. Unfortunately, a lot of these people go into this with their minds made up already, but sometimes it works. It worked on the Utah governor as well. So we can also just start running for all of the positions. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like uh, if there's all this fear yeah. about trans people running the world, maybe we just should make it come true. <laughs> Have all the trans people run the world. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, sure. Yeah. If you feel the call to, to, to serve an office, then by all means, go ahead and do it. I will say, unfortunately, as people will point out, as we gain more visibility, the pushback will also intensify. But mm-hmm. it didn't intensify in uh, response to Sarah McBride getting elected. Yeah. Hey, you never know. Yeah. yeah, I would say just continue to speak out, continue to educate as many receptive people as you can find about mm-hmm. what's going on. At the end of the day, because we are the targets of this, our voices probably will not be worth as much to the people in charge as cisgender peoples. That's just the sad reality of the situation. We've already been written off. Okay, but what about white trans men that pass as cis guys? What if that's our secret weapon? (laughs) There you go. Hey, I'm just saying. Yeah. You have have no idea idea this white man with an opinion is actually (laughs) trans. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, basically what we need to see to start turning this back more than anything else is we need we need to definitely get out the votes in in uh, this year. Definitely need to get out the votes. It really is a vote blue no matter whose situation. Even if the Democrat that you are voting for is going to be a disappointment in a lot of ways, <laughs> Biden. And at the end of the day, it's hey, the worst thing you're doing is slowing them down. The people that are attacking, get them out of power. At the very minimum, it slows them down. Mm-hmm. Democrats aren't going to endorse this. So you can slow them down. And if you put if you're able to put the right Democrats in office, they might even be able to chip away at it a little bit. We definitely need to get out the vote, keep raising awareness, and really and truthfully, we need a groundswell of support that we see every time that the entire LGBTQ community is under attack at the same time. There's a reason why Don't Say Gay took off Because in the, the media. cis gay men and the cis lesbians care exactly. about it. Exactly. It's like we need support yeah. for the T that they will give to the LGB. Yeah. We need to have that kind of support. Now, did it work in Florida? No. But at the same time, the outcry was 10 times louder than anything we've seen about what's happening in Texas. Mm-hmm. And the media was all about don't say gay. They still are to a large extent. That's the kind of support we need yeah. is we need the media talking about it and we need cis allies showing up in force. I will say, though, my girlfriend actually attended a protest at the at the Texas State Capitol not too long ago. And the 
she can attest in the chat. She's in here, the that otaku. She's she is my girlfriend. She can even attest there were hundreds of people at that rally. By comparison, when I went to a rally about a year ago at the same place about transgender sports bans, we had a fraction of that. A fraction. Like the turnout was great, don't get me wrong, but it paled in comparison to what we saw just a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So the momentum is building. It's just not building at the speed that we need it to. One thing that I have seen that was really powerful is I had a friend who for over a year was doing streams about leftist news because there's not a ton of leftist news channels around. There's definitely not on mainstream media at all because how could they afford it? But he did a leftist news stream and I think he's had to taper off just to take care of basic needs, having enough income from work to feed his family. But I'm curious if, you know, someone like you who has the mental capacity to read the stuff and be up on what's happening had a regular news segment on Twitch or something like (laughs) like that's a real thing you could be doing. I've considered And I'm it. sure I've... people would tune in. And if you're looking for folks to help you figure out the tech, like my whole Discord server is full of people who I think would want to support that existing. I've considered it. I'm doing mm-hmm. some stuff behind the scenes as well, trying to help out in, in other ways, as well as raise awareness. I'm trying to, not going to say too much about it, but I am going to try to get some stuff done on the state level here in Washington, if possible, Nice. in support of the people currently being victimized by this. I don't know how it's success. Blah. I don't know how successful that's going to be, of course, because right. it's still in its infancy. But I intend to move fast on it, trying to get some support for it, agenda up among some more well-known activists. And we'll, we'll see what happens as far as that goes. Really and truthfully, we've got to face this head on with everything we have and i completely understand though of course if you don't have the mental capacity to fight all the time don't do it Mm -hmm. because even though i have the mental capacity to fight back a lot it overwhelms me all the time so yeah if you need to take a break do so if it's not for you then do what you can essentially Mm -hmm. every little bit counts yeah and yeah I would also say if you're living in those states and you are a transgender adult who has the ability to get out, I would. I know that there are many who don't, unfortunately, and we need to be assisting them as much as we can. There are a lot of GoFundMes out there for transgender, uh, the families especially of transgender youth in places like Texas that are trying mm. to escape. I would definitely, if you had the resources... If you can't donate to them, at least put them on blast Mm -hmm. on Twitter Mm -hmm. and uh, signal boost the heck out of those GoFundMes. Basically, like I said, just do whatever you can. I'm sure everybody listening has a Twitter account or a Facebook account. You can blast a GoFundMe on there easily. Yeah. And a lot of you probably I am, actually. (laughs) That's the name of your new talk show, Speaking Up with Alexis Fandom. There you go. That's (laughs) You can have it. That's for you. That's that's a present. So speaking of speaking up, one of the things that I've noticed, especially with trans people who make content of any kind, is if your voice isn't the right sound as it is in your head, it's really hard to go back and look at replays or listen to replays of content that you've made and Alexis your voice is very feminine 
And well, I'm you. sure there's a lot of people who would love tips on how did you do that, though? First of all, so what you were saying about going back and listening to stuff that you've already made, I struggle with that. Con- there are auditions for projects that I have recorded for, and then I go back and listen, and yeah, the dysphoria kicks in. I have a lot of vocal dysphoria. I'll, I'll be completely upfront about that, even today. Not about how I sound at the moment, generally speaking. And there are times, again, you can ask Otaku, there are times that even when my voice sounds exactly like this, I'm still extremely dysphoric about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not the best resource on overcoming vocal dysphoria. I hate to say it, but I'm really not. But when it comes to training, I know... Anyone who's listening, who's trying to do trans feminine vocal training will probably expect me to say, go watch trans voice lessons on YouTube. Um, I will say that her resources were not that helpful to me. They've Mm. been helpful to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. They're not helpful to everybody. So if you haven't tried her resources, I would do that. If they don't work, there are more coaches out there. They don't put out as many videos as trans voice lessons, but they are there. We have teachers like Zoe Alexandria, for example. We have uh, True Voice, which is a, from what I understand, it seems to be basically like a, I'm not even sure what to call True Voice and in places like that. They basically seem to be a place where a lot of speech pathologists willing to train transgender people to change their voice, congregate and offer their services. Seems to be, because mm. I think there there seem to be a couple of places that are very similar to True Voice. So I'm guessing it's like a group of aggregating websites or platforms. But there's also the Singuistics Discord server, S-C-I-N-G-U-I-S-T-I-C-S, Singuistics, that there are a lot, a lot of coaches on there. Most of them are extremely affordable and if they're not for you, then you can listen in on public lessons. They give public lessons all the time to people who sign up for them. And you can pop in and listen and get tips that way. And I would also say, please, most importantly, give yourself, if you can, give yourself the time to develop this kind of voice. Mm-hmm. Or one that's even more feminine than this one. Give your, or masculine, you of course. Yeah, or masculine <laughs> or androgynous or wh- whatever your vocal go- goals are, give yourself time to reach them. If you try to do everything at once, it probably won't work out. Mm-hmm. But if you, and if it does, I'm one of those people sometimes, if I try something new with my voice and it doesn't work immediately, I give up on it. Don't be like me if you can help it. <laughs> it's something I'm still working through. But give yourself the time and the space to develop your voice and it will work out. Try to reduce your stress as much as you possibly can by not putting too much on yourself at at once. And it will come. I've been working on mine for two years now and it's Mm -hmm. just, I'm still learning new things. Mm -hmm. It's a long process. About as long as as reaching the full effects of the hormones that you're on. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it does take that kind of time, especially if you're going trans femme. It, it can take that long. Some people get it immediately, but that's not that common. Yeah. Juice Text in the chat is mentioning there's also Your Lessons Now, a YouTube and TikTok with tips for trans voice training. 
your lessons now is actually my in-person coach. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Anna Lantry. Yeah. She is very good. Definitely. It's helped me work through some issues of mine when it comes to feminization of the voice and stuff like that. So. That's so wonderful. How did you get started in voice acting? Like, how did you do that? Well, it all started in a hospital in uh, Illinois in 1996 when a child was born. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, this is not the (laughs) intro to a USA version of My Hero Academia. But no, (laughs) it's just something I've always loved being an impressionist. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got my start in it. Even when I was bad at the impressions, I still loved doing them. And that is how I got my start. And it's something that evolved very steadily over the course of my entire life. And yeah, it's something I've just always had a passion for. And now I'm on the the edge of getting professional work and, and stuff like that. It took me a long time to reach this, I will say. I've been doing voice acting on a very amateur level for years, but now I'm finally getting to a point where I can go professional. And uh, that's a lot of people's journey, by the way. A lot of people don't start out professional, but Mm -hmm. I would say for tips on how to get into it, especially if you're financially limited, I would not shoot for the, the high end equipment or think that you have to have it to go voice in a fan dub or a comic dub or in a bridge series or what have you. You really don't have to have high-end tech for that kind of thing. Usually, for some, you don't get me wrong. Like, I think if you wanted to get cast in Sword Art Online or Bridge, yeah, you probably need the high-end equipment. But there are a lot of bridge series that don't particularly put a premium on that kind of thing. And I started out with a blue snowball that I got from my college that I was attending at the time. I would rent it out for a day, take it back to my dorm room with concrete walls, and start recording, it is, you got to start somewhere. There's no shame mm-hmm. in that. So, and that's another skill that kind of builds up over time, I will say, definitely. But yeah, for me, I'm just extremely passionate about it. And yeah, <laughs> can't that's really so- go into too much more detail than that as far as the my origin story. It's <laughs> so awesome. I love it. <laughs> Do you have a character that you've voiced that is your favorite so far of the characters that you've been? Oh, goodness. I haven't been that many, unfortunately. But a lot of my stuff is still impressions. A lot of people would probably be familiar with the webcomic, I Want to Be a Cute Anime Girl. And I actually, duh, I made a couple of videos for that comic. And I voiced uh, Sharon slash Cheryl for that. I would say... She's probably my favorite character I've voiced so far. But yeah, I I would say, and that's just basically my voice. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Do you have any particularly fun stories from your work as a voice actress? Oh, goodness. I'll tell you this. When I was in the more amateur, uh, the more amateur side of things, and I'm obviously not using that as an insult. It just literally is amateur because it's unpaid. Yeah. I would, the people I worked with and I would go to cons a lot. And this is pre-transition me, okay? We would go to cons and run some panels and stuff like that. Sometimes for guests. And it was extremely fun, but also there was a lot more work going into setting those things up than you might think. So, gosh, my favorite story, I'm not sure... I've definitely done some improv stuff on stage at cons. That's been pretty fun. (laughs) I will say that. Goodness. Yeah, I don't know if I have a particular favorite story because I will say those con experiences 
all together were probably my favorite. Are so special. They are. I miss them so much. <laughs> Although I will say one funny thing that I deal doing, it's not really voice acting, but it still works out, sure. is when I was first moving here, basically like the home office of the apartment complex I was going to move into decided to really screw with me. Mm. And... It was the lady at the front desk, the only lady at the front desk that was doing that. And it was all over the phone. I was still in Texas at the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And at the risk of getting my voice trapped at androgynous range, I'm going to attempt this. But basically, I knew I had to get around her to speak to the people above her because she would probably try to block me from speaking to the management. So my parents were actually in front of me at the time. We were sitting at the mall. But I've got an idea. Watch this. (laughs) And so called him up and she answers the phone. Hello. And I said, yeah, hi, can I, can I possibly speak to the, the management? I just had a few questions about uh, moving in (laughs) and she just put me right through. So nice. And then I just reverted back to my more, what has become my more natural voice instantly. (laughs) It was pretty funny. (laughs) That's so incredible. Thank you. What's funny is that voice I just did is like as masculine as I can get these days, which some people have told me is masculine, but like barely. <laughs> so it's, it's uh, my overall range has shifted toward feminine. Definitely. Yeah, that might be. I don't know. I get like young 20 something guy vibe from that. Sounds like a young hey, guy. Hey, I'm 25. So there you go. <laughs> I guess you got the age range, right? At least. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Yep. 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 That's so, so awesome. Are there any yeah. other impressions you'd like to do for the lols before we go to our wrap up questions? Alexis will now impersonate Weevil Underwood from Yu Gi Oh! Prepare to face my ultimate insect, my perfectly ultimate great moth! It's a little deeper than he usually goes, <laughs> but there you go. I it's like just like constant yelling voice. The voice is just constant yelling. <laughs> Oh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> anime is intense like that. It's like constant yelling. Oh, definitely. Well, I that's did not, the genre I, of anime. I probably didn't. Yeah, I probably did not nail that Weevil impression on the first go. But uh, yeah. you've got someone saying amazing. Someone saying that was amazing with multiple smiley faces. And, wow, dang. So oh, okay. Twitch chat thinks that you're pretty good at that. Thank you, Twitch chat. <laughs> Alexis' next impersonation is going to be King from Owl House. Soon, Mr. Ducky, we shall drink the fear of those. That's awesome. (laughs) And it's like King in the bathtub with the rubber ducky. I love doing King's lines. Yeah, so cute. Uh, I love it. King is so funny. Here's a good one. It's one of my favorites, actually. You there, nightmare critter. I shall call you Francois and you shall be a minion in my army of darkness. (laughs) That was so awesome. That's quite a party trick you've developed professionally i appreciate it thank you did you know that the creator of owl house and the creator of she-ra then the re- the reboot are married gaily to each other and one of them's like non-binary and has had top surgery and i'm just like oh that's cool the like non-binary lesbian love is strong with this couple <laughs> i'm so happy but yeah so yeah impressions are definitely something i love doing for sure i appreciate y'all asking Totally. Everyone is amazed somewhere. You're getting some wows and some hecking love voice acting. (laughs) Totally. So, Alexis, can you share an experience with gender euphoria with the community today? 
gender euphoria. Okay. I definitely have gotten to the point where I feel more euphoric when I see myself in the mirror, especially clean shaven. One of the Mm -hmm. reasons I'm not on video right now is because unfortunately you've got to grow your hair, your facial hair for a couple of days before you do electrolysis. And so not really wanting to be on camera right now. I am almost done with facial electrolysis. Congratulations. That's a huge endeavor. Thank you. Thank you. Thankfully, I did not have a whole lot of facial hair to begin with. That's good. Yeah, no, the upper lip, just get out of here with that. Upper lip is the worst for facial electrolysis. Mm -hmm. You can definitely go through, you can definitely bear it, but it sucks. Let's see. I have euphoria, I would say about my body shape sometimes, especially Mm -hmm. wearing a cute blouse or jacket with some jeans or something definitely have gender euphoria that way i've definitely had gender euphoria when i've had breakthroughs with my voice or when my voice dysphoria finally decides to go away for a little bit and i'm able to hear what i actually sound especially upon playback and stuff like that there are a few auditions i've done that i think sounded particularly effeminate and i've been known to play them back over and over again because it just puts a smile on my face it's so wonderful <laughs> I, I love that you've managed to have some recordings of your voice that you don't just hate. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's so funny because it's like when you're doing voice acting as a trans actress, you have, or just trans in general, doesn't even matter. Trans mm-hmm. mask, androgynous, or trans femme, doesn't matter. It's If you have vocal dysphoria, that's probably, it's bound to at least occasionally interfere with how you sound and how you think you sound more about the second part than the first and of course you have to worry about how you sound otherwise because you're trying to put on a convincing performance so it's like you're dealing with two things at the same time and when you're a you know trans female voice actress who has her sights at least somewhat set on being in some anime dubs it's like the pressure to sound like a chibi girl is pretty incredible but Mm -hmm. all that said it can definitely be done. It can definitely be fun. And an interesting thing about me is that I actually do not hate my masculine voice when it comes to voice acting. I love the fact that I have that, that I still have access to that for my for my voice acting. Talking to somebody in person or over the phone, forget it. I want mm. to sound as effeminate as humanly possible. But when I'm doing voice acting, it doesn't bother me one bit. So it's, it's very strange. It's I know that there are some, there are other trans actresses out there who are the same way, that they don't hate their masculine voice in that particular context. Yeah. Interesting, because <laughs> kind of little... it gives you more flexibility and opportunity, I imagine. Yeah. And I guess, oddly enough, because I'm not always as confident in my femme voice, it's like, in that particular context... I'm almost more confident in my masculine voice at times mm-hmm. because as I know for a fact that I can do it Yeah, at the drop of a hat, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. It's confusing for me, definitely. But I would definitely say while voice acting is tough to get into and <clears throat> at least on the pro level and it you know, still requires some work on the amateur level too, it is... If you've got the passion for it, every bit of work is going to be completely worth it. Definitely. That's so awesome. 
Is there anything else you want to make sure to let folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary slash trans issues? If there was one little 30-second nugget you wanted to make sure everybody heard, what would it be? I would say when it comes to everything that is going on in the country right now, as far as all this goes, while it is absolutely terrifying and there are probably going to be times where it does become overwhelming, never lose hope completely Mm -hmm. because there are people out there who care. There are states out there that are safer. There are resources, no matter where you live. If Even if there aren't any in person, there are always resources online mm-hmm. and stuff like that. People who will affirm you, people who will be there for you no matter what. And <clears throat> that will never go away, no matter mm-hmm. what happens. So yeah. I would definitely try to focus on that when things become too overwhelming in the world. It's understandable that they don't get me wrong. But just know that there is always somebody out there who will be there for you. Always. Never lose hope completely. Oh, wonderful. Alexis, is there anything that I didn't ask or any final thoughts that you wanted to share before I just do our closing out promos and that sort of Honestly, I don't really have much. <laughs> That's totally nothing's fine. Coming to, nothing's coming to mind as far as that goes. I think That's everything totally went amazingly. So. Well, it's been a delight to have you here, Alexis Fandom. Folks listening to this later or watching this now, if you would like to follow Alexis, one great way to do that is to hop over to Twitter, go to Vandom VA for voice acting, Vandom with a V, not an R. And um, you can catch tweets on trans rights and just more commentary and updates on voice acting work, which is great. You also, Alexis also has a friend, Bo Ramos, who is a streamer. You can see Kicking Butt at Apex Legends. There's the link there in the Twitch chat, Bo Ramos, R-A-M-O-S. Bo is B-E-A-U. And next week's guest is going to be Brooke West of Brooke West Yoga Therapy. We're going to be talking about yoga for queer bodies, yoga for trans bodies. What does it look like to use yoga to deal with dysphoria and so many more things. I imagine it'll be a long conversation. I've seen all the questions. There's 16 or 20 of them. It's we have a lot of things that we could possibly discuss. Brooke West is a non-binary yoga therapist, also in Washington State, actually, and We'll have many things to say, I'm sure. For now, Genderful would like to thank our guests for being on this podcast. Everyone, feel free to join us live on Twitch on Mondays. Check out the replays on YouTube on Fridays. And keep an eye on your favorite podcasting platforms for edited audio-only versions. As Nefertiti likes to say, trans rights are human rights. That's right.